When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Friday, July 15th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 469 featuring the athletics. Jared Weiss is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. What's up, everyone? Adam Kaufman back in the saddle after a week off. And with me, you lose Evan Valenti, I guess, because he's on the road right now. But he'll be producing. So, hi, Ev. Jared Weiss is with us from The Athletic, and we thank you for being here with us. Uh, something that I never, ever, ever, Jared, remember to say until the very end of the podcast when people probably tune out. I'm going to say off the top of the show. I'm going to do it off the top of the show because I, I want as many ears on this as possible. Cardinal rule of podcasting that I never follow. Rate, review, subscribe. Help us out, people. We're having fun, obviously, but we want to hear from you. And you know what the reviews the ratings, they just don't come in often enough. And I think I take that upon myself for not reminding you. So let's hear from you guys. We appreciate you. Anything you like, don't like, whatever, just, you know, hit us with the info. You're, you're used to this, right? Oh, I've, I've heard rate review, but usually I've already hung up at that point. <laughs> to do it. It's good to have you here with us. You have been a busy man, obviously, going, you know, right from a, a long, grueling regular season, two-month playoff run, especially. I, I know you kind of go league-wide at this point, but, you know, with your focus being the Celtics, it always helps and probably makes things a little bit busier when they go to the NBA Finals. Not much reprieve before you get yourself right into the draft, free agency, and then, of course, NBA Summer League, which is still going on. You're just back from Vegas. Have you had a moment to take for yourself at all? Nope. <laughs> But who wants it anyway, right? uh, Yeah, I mean, I I slowed down a little bit the other day. But it was funny. The Celtics had their game where that was that thrilling game that ended with the Matt Ryan game winner. I was at the press conferences. I actually left right before they ended because I had to catch my flight from Vegas to Boston. And thank God, I happened to have already scheduled my flight as a red-eye back on Monday night. And I was supposed to land at like 1030 in Boston. The Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari presser was at 1130. So it just happened <laughs> that I was like, my flight was already on time for that. Of course, I get to Atlanta from my layover. It's five in the morning at this point. I haven't slept a wink yet because I can't, I can't sleep on flights for some reason. I'm just not capable mm. of doing it. Got to get the and, window seat and just lean. That's what I tried doing, but I got screwed with two awful window seats. The first one I wow. had, there was like a column on the wall, so I was squished. <laughs> and yeah. then the second one, the person in the middle seat was squishing me into the wall, and there was like this – they took like one of the um, 
armrests that you would usually have in the aisle and yeah. stuck it really tight into the window, but it didn't <laughs> flip up. So it was just digging into my leg. I <laughs> could not function. I was miserable. I oh. ended up passing out, I think, for like 30 minutes right before we landed in Boston. So that was all the sleep I got that night. That's straight to the Brogdon presser. And uh, that was a doozy. I literally – I think I walked in the door as Brad was making his opening statement. So <laughs> it was – I went literally from presser to presser, somehow made it. So it worked out in the end. Well, I do want to talk plenty about Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari and, and your direct ties to both of them. You've had, you know, some some really uh, interesting features. One just dropped today with Gallinari and his dad about, you know, growing up and being a Larry Bird fan, all the stuff that I, I do want to get to a little bit later on in the show. But where I want to start, and I, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I just, I don't know, I find myself here in the offseason, especially as, you know, moves have been made and there's still some more moves coming, whatever it is they are, we're waiting and seeing and we'll speculate the two of us a little bit. But it's just, you know, Brad Stevens now uh, a year plus on the job is I don't think he understands. He's done such a good job. I don't think he understands, though, you know, if there's one thing that he didn't take from Danny Ainge is that you're like you're supposed to be a professional liar in this role. And and Brad shoots us straight. Brad just tells us what he what he wants to do, you know, what the team needs, and he goes out and does it. He just goes out and adds those guys like, hey, we need bench scoring and we need, you know, we need more playmaking off the bench. Well, here's Brogdon. Here's Gallinari. You know, he most recently said, well, we're going to need another big. And you know what? I'm waiting for him to add another big, whether it's, you know, free agent or someone from the summer league or, you know, I I don't I don't believe it's going to be just Luke Cornett, for instance. There are roster spots to fill and Brad is going to go out and take care of this. So, again, I'm, I'm rambling here, but what I just find so interesting is is the refreshing honesty from from Brad. There's there's been no sort of, you know, misdirection maybe he gives you some half truths he can't be completely honest all the time but there's never just any outright lies yeah danny liked to outright lie all the time which is honestly like it's part of the job it's part of the job i don't fall for it yeah like if i got asked the kinds of questions about my job that they got asked in a public forum i would have to lie all the time it's that's it's being political it's a good thing you should be doing that so okay whatever i think brad if there's one thing I learned from covering Brad over the years, it's that uh, – and I think Danny was a great uh, kind of like equilibrium to balance my evaluation on as far as like his willingness to just like say something you just know is not true. Is Brad <laughs> is incredibly subtle and smart about saying things that are plaus- that have plausible deniability. So he's really good at that. And honestly, I think it's actually been pretty good about being more transparent as he's gone on as a GM. Like, I like the way that he said we need playmaking and scoring. He said a lot of the things that I was hearing from people behind closed doors that I was honestly telling people behind closed doors and also saying publicly it might work too. And he just kind of like he nailed all the things that I had been saying the entire time and that many other reporters have been saying the entire time where he didn't really leave much like wondering what does he really mean by everything he's saying. And I, I think part of that is that he's in a position where it's obvious. Like, they just made the finals they almost won the championship like we know what their issues are like their offense kept sucking over and over again after it made so much progress like we know that they needed playmaking depth we knew that we didn't think that they needed another like they didn't need to trade for Bradley Beal or make a Donovan Mitchell play or KD play necessarily to win the championship we knew they just needed somebody else that was a good choreographer and scorer to help them out and he got the exact kind of guy that they need in Brogdon who's someone who like you don't necessarily want him to be your 
number one point guard, but you put him on a team with a bunch of good playmakers, and he's the ultimate fit for this team. And then Gallinari, who it's like they just needed somebody that, like, when they needed somebody to go get a bucket getter, somebody that could just hit shots that are tightly contested and get on a heater, they definitely wanted one of those guys and only get him for, like, six and a half mil. It's good business. I like it. Even if he sucks on defense at this point of his career, he is a smart, composed player who I know I know Gallinari only averages two assists a game, but that dude knows how to move the ball. He makes mm-hmm. creative passes. He makes good reads. He can get out of a double team pretty decently. He can obviously hit a shot anywhere you want him to. Like that dude can hit any kind of shot you want. Like they, he, he, Brad did good business and it's not done. They're going to get another center. I don't think Kamigali is just going to be like, they're just going to add him onto the roster and be like, we're set up backup center. I think that everything we've seen so far indicates to me they're going to pay more tax to get another. You know, maybe a little bit more than Vetman. Like you know, I reported about how they're probably get, they're still exploring using the foreign ATP. I tried to immediately explain in the article, so it was very clear for the aggregators. They're not going to trade for another person making seventeen million. Sure. If they do, they're probably sending out some other salary because I, I did the. All right, I talked to Danny Larue, our cap expert at the Athletic, about it. Like it would cost like seventy five million dollars to trade for another player making that much money. They're not going to do that. It's not worth it. You don't need it. So I think they're probably going to target a center that could pop out from the Donovan Mitchell deal if it goes down, from a Kevin Durant deal if it goes down, whatever other you know trade could happen where teams have to start moving around, especially because it sounds like there could be some three out of 14 deals possibly brewing around those things. Like the Celtics might have a chance to snag somebody that just makes like three or $4 million to be that 10th man to kind of replace what Tice was doing. So of the, there, there are a lot of things that you said right there that I want to react to. We'll kind of bounce around, but just to go with the most recent, the DPE. That always happens when we talk. It, it, I'll it does. And, it's like 10 minutes. You're like, all right, I got like six things I want to say. No, I've made a laundry list of items here that I'd like to. <laughs> um, well, let's, let's talk about the, the, the TPE though, because obviously it is top of mind. I mean, as we're sitting here on a Friday, this thing, at least the Evan Fournier TPE is, as we've come to refer to it, worth 17 million and change. Expires in three days. So time is running thin, obviously, in the Celtics being able to use this. So you just mentioned the possibility that they could use a, a small portion of it to bring in a big. Is there any chance? Because if you're not using much of it, like you could just use a different TPE for that, you know, as you know, one's going to expire down the road. Is there any chance that and I, I we've we've mentioned this sort of in passing on the show before that the C's would. Use the TPE, you know, pretty close to in full or, you know, whatever, just to just to basically reset. And what I mean by that is bring in a guy that a team's trying to get rid of that makes, you know, 15, 17 million dollars, whatever it is, and flip them and get another TPE out of it and and give your, you know, kind of it's sort of similar how to, how they like the Hayward TPE became the 48 TPE could become the X TPE. You know what I mean? That's tricky because technically your tax bill isn't calculated till the end of the year. So I think you, which is why I was I'm thinking about sure, that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can do that and then get rid of it before it's too late and then not pay tax, I believe. Right. Um, so like, yeah, you could do that. You could. Um, but I mean, I know it's easier pressure. said than done. Like you got to find a guy to get and you got to find a team to take that guy or, you know, and or you some might, other you, money. And you might have to attach draft capital to get rid of that. Like, is it right. worth it just to keep that alive? And then you're keeping it alive for the sake of eventually using it, right? But hope. Why, like, like you're basically that's basically you saying we're going to bring in another Josh Richardson now. Let's say for it, like as an example, it's not going to sure. be him, but like as an example, another Josh Richardson, so that, that we can then get another Josh Richardson. Maybe I don't. I don't really see the point of that. Assuming the risk. 
that it would take that you would have to get rid of. They'd have to use a pick to get off of it when teams see your leverage because you know you don't want to pay $90 million in tax or whatever. Um, so I think, I think you're doing that if it's really, it's a piece that you think will put you over the top at that point. I don't think they need that. Like unless KD goes to Phoenix and he's with two other superstars or, you know, whatever, or my, you know, maybe like Miami can somehow make it work. I don't really see a team that should be forcing the Celtics to do that at this point. I think the Celtics right now on paper are the best team in the NBA, or at least let's give them tied with Golden State for the best team in the sure. NBA. Well, they're probably the like, deepest, like one through 10. And they were just in the finals. So I feel right. like fixing their number one issue from the finals makes them the best team in the NBA sure. on paper. Yeah. So when the Malcolm Brogdon trade happened, again, we'll talk more about Brogdon later, but when the trade happened, I we were doing the show. Keith Smith was on, the two of us, you know, had the rare ability that we get on the show to actually react in real time to to a deal like, you know, a, a, any deal being made, quite frankly. But a deal of that magnitude was, you know, pretty special to be able to to touch on a little bit. But one of the first things that Keith said, and I agreed with it, was, you know, one takeaway here is when you're sending out as many pieces as they did, obviously, but when you're bringing out bringing in a player as as good and as valuable and as versatile and so on as Brogdon, especially making the money that he makes, that probably tells you they're not going to use the TPE. Well, now that we're a few days away from that expiring, potentially anyway, is that your belief? You know, either they're going to use a very small amount of it, like you touched on before, or this thing is just going to outright expire? I think they're going to use a very small amount of it to bring in another big. That's what I expect. The, the Well, I, I should say that's what they want to do, but... I don't think anybody else in the NBA is getting traded in the next three days. So I, maybe they won't be able to find that thing that they're looking for. Um, and there are some centers left on the market that, that could work for the vetmen. But, you know, I, I think from my understanding is they're, they're clearly hunting right now for another big that's slightly better than the vetmen. So assuming I, that I, I was going to say, assuming like Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell, are not traded in the next three days, then, you know, so you don't have all the dominoes and the, the trickle down effect of that. Who do you think they could be going after right now? Um, it's funny. Cause like one guy I just kind of had earmarked was Ken Birch in uh, Toronto. If Toronto was able to get involved with the deal mm-hmm. that just, it's the guy's not making much money. I could see them tossing out like a protected second round pick to just get him to, you know, go over to Boston as part of that deal. Um, you know, like uh, Thomas Bryant was the guy that I was hearing about yeah. from the from the get go, and I, I reported that they had an offer out to him. They were trying to get him to come on the minimum, and uh, the Lakers they have a path for him to potentially start. He knew that there was no path for that whatsoever. The path for him to even play was was not great. So, mm-hmm. I, think, I think he made the right call. Like that was the right call going to the Lakers for someone who wants to like as cool as it would be to be a bench player who doesn't play get in the ring. Like he wants to get his career back on track. Like, he was right. a good player that's been killed by injuries and he wants to be playing. Yeah. He's still in his twenties. Yeah. Honestly, man, like I would look at the market. There's just nobody out there that really entices me. Um, in terms of the free agents, you mean? Yeah. In terms of the free agents. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's Dwight Howard. It's, you know, Boogie cousins, you know, Aaron Baines, who we already have indications that, you know, as as sad as that makes many Celtics fans, I realize like that's not going to happen. So yeah, I I am curious what direction they go in. Cause I don't see them bringing in people that could affect the locker room structure. Like they, they, Brad has been so clear about this entire time using the words like a team is fragile, you know, talking mm-hmm. about adding without subtracting that those themes came up again at the press conference the other day. 
This team is all about the chemistry vibe. We saw them last year find that on-court chemistry. They had good off-court chemistry, and that is what made them so good because they did not have the individual talent to stack up at the level that they performed. They were greater than the sum of their parts last year because of that stuff. And then you Mm -hmm. know it's really hard to carry that over multiple years. Like the fact that the, like the Warriors had to get Kevin Durant to ensure that that carried over. And then it took them, I mean, health is the issue, but like the Warriors are, are like this remarkable paragon of organizational consistency and good chemistry. And they have the guys at the top that create that. Tatum and Brown are not at the level like where Steph and Draymond are to be able to really like make sure that culture is truly deeply instilled. This team kind of has a, a weird dichotomy of leadership where it's really smart and Horford that kind of set that tone a little bit. And then Tatum and Brown are the ones that kind of push it forward. But like this team is not set up from a chemistry perspective where it can really handle somebody being a bad egg within the locker room or being a bad fit on the court and be able to survive it. And Dennis Schroeder was example number one of that. Hmm. Dennis Schroeder was a bad fit on the court for this team. He didn't play with the styles, the preferences, the inclinations that this team needed to have. They got rid of him and they flipped the switch. I mean, the switch was starting to flip beforehand, but it really flipped after that, especially when they replaced it with him with Derek White, who was like the exact example of everything they were looking for. So that's why I just don't see them going for a Cousins or a Dwight Howard. It just like there's just there's just too much of a past there. And I don't think that that role is going to be important enough to this team's roster that it's worth bringing in somebody that could be a risk there. Yeah, I mean, candidly, and I'm perfectly fine with them moving Daniel Tice, especially considering he was, you know, shy of a top 12 protected first round pick. He was, you know, the most valuable asset that was sent away in the Brogdon deal, which really tells you something about, you know, the potential steal that this could be if Brogdon can stay, you know, healthier and he's been the last couple of years. But Tice, you know, he, he filled a role, you know, he, he knew the system obviously and, and, you know, good enough defensively could chip in here and there offensively didn't ask, you know, very many minutes of him. So as you look to replace that guy, you know, you're essentially looking to, you know, you're not, you're not looking for another Horford or Rob Williams or even a Grant Williams or something like that. You're, you're replacing Daniel Tice basically. So is there anyone on the market that, that does appeal to you shy of, well, it's going to be Cornette or it's going to be Kevin Gelly or it's going to be, you know, somebody else from the summer league roster or, 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 or does it really kind of all come down to like we were talking about before a, a trade for a guy making a little bit more in the vet men. I could see like, I mean, as far as free agency is concerned, like Devonte Kaycock is out there, you know, he, he could, he, I could see him working except that he's only six foot eight or seven or something like that. So it's like, how different is that than Grant Williams, as far as what you're looking for? Um, you know, Luca Garza is in Detroit, I think, right? He's another guy that's interesting, but I think he's a restricted. So I w- if you're throwing the minimum at him, I could totally see Detroit just matching and keeping him. Mm. And then you look at the rest of the UFAs, it's guys like Tristan Thompson, who Brad Stevens is, there's yeah. no way Brad Stevens is bringing it back. And they're done that. that I heard, uh, you know, and like, <laughs> uh, I'll have to pull up a list to see if you remember the rest, but it's just like, there's such few guys. I don't think a Davis is going to play anymore. Um, Greg Monroe, I, you know, that, that doesn't fit what they're looking for in that position. Hassan Whiteside is from a talent perspective kind of fits what they're looking for. But mm-hmm. like, again, another, you know, although he wasn't bad in Utah last year, but also Utah has not retained him. Danny Ainge has not retained him yet, unless I missed right. something. So, you know, it's like, that's everybody. Yeah. This list has Dwight Howard at Davis, Whiteside, Garza, Thompson, DeMarcus Cousins, Kaycock and Greg Monroe. This is a uh, Spotrax mm-hmm. free agency tracker. That's literally all the centers left on the market. There's not really anybody there. And Kamigale has a good shot at, at making the roster based on that because I mean it's summer league, but like I, I do like a decent amount of what I've seen from him, and I did like his tape in the G League, so I could see him being a fit for what they're looking for and a compliment to Luke Cornett. 
And he has some NBA experience, obviously. You know, he's a former first-round pick at the Clippers. He's, he's played a little bit in the league, at least, as compared to some of these guys that you typically see in summer league. So something to think about anyway. But uh, where – all right, so we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. Who knows? Maybe we'll be lucky. I'll check my phone here. Maybe we'll get lucky and we'll get some breaking news in the middle of the show or something like that, kind of like we did with Keith a couple weeks back. But let's – you know, I, I keep teasing. Oh, we're going to talk about Brogdon and Gallinari. Let's do that. Now – this is this is where I could have looked this up, but it's more fun to just guess sometimes. I'm going entirely off of memory here. But you have relationships with both of these guys, correct? Like, I'm, I'm thinking back, like, Brogdon, if I remember right, when the trade happened, you were the first one to have a quote from him about coming to Boston for starters. But also even yeah. before that, I like, didn't, right when the trade happened. Yeah, and 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 didn't you, a couple years back, or, you know, I don't, pandemic blur, I guess, but... In the not too distant past, you did a piece with him, what, in Africa, right? Where, or, or at least I know he goes to Africa every summer. Didn't you do something with him in the past about some of his charitable work and stuff like that? Or am I completely making that up? I think you're making it up. I mean, you're not wrong about that. Like I literally just talked to him. He had to cancel his trip to Tanzania that he was going to do with Miles Turner mm. uh, for his, for his foundation as part of Basketball Without Borders. So, I don't think I thought did you that. did something with him years I'll ago. I'll take credit for it. Sure. You should I take credit for it. I, I interviewed him in December, I think, uh, for a feature I did on the Pacers where Miles Ooh. Turner, uh, my, it was kind of like the, the feature that you know, the day before Shams and our, uh, Indiana writer Bob Kravitz, they broke that the Pacers were considering blowing it up. And then I was in Indiana right then doing gotcha. another story and we got everybody, I got everybody on the record, including Malcolm and Sabonis and Turner and, uh, Rick Carlisle and Kevin Pritchard, the president. And they all talked about basically the future of the franchise. And about maybe blowing it up. And that's exactly what they did. They blew up the franchise. Um, so Miles Turner is the only one left standing from that. Yeah. Uh, and, they and he's tried off to building Legos DeAndre right Aiden. now anyway. Exactly. They tried to sign, they tried to sign DeAndre Ayton. They would have obviously traded him, but, uh, yeah. went back to Phoenix. So Miles might be there for at least another year. All right. Well, I'll take half credit on you getting the quote right after the trade anyway. But obviously you did the I'll piece on, uh, you know, Danilo Gallinari and with his dad dropped on the athletic earlier today, encouraged people to go out and check it out. And, uh, just to, uh, I'll let you obviously expand upon, you know, your work and your research, but one of the things, and, and these guys, like they, they checked every box you possibly could have checked during that introductory press conference in terms of saying all the right things and veterans coming into this situation, a team two win shy of winning a championship last year and, uh, you know, putting ego aside and filling a role and, you know, wanting a ring and all of these things. Like I, I love it, but also the, and I, I tweeted this out at the time. I just, whether it was Brogdon talking about, you know, growing up loving the Celtics because his grandfather was obsessed with Bill Russell and Red Auerbach, or obviously, as you'll talk about Gallinari saying that, you know, because of his dad, he's long been a Larry Bird fan, always dreamed about playing for the Seas. I don't even care if guys make that stuff up during these press conferences. It just hits me. It gets me in the feels. I just like, I, I'm sentimental about that stuff because in today's day and age, like there really are not many and it's sort of a, I guess, an attack on, on, on the, the youth of basketball culture today, but there aren't a lot of basketball historians out there. So when I hear stuff like that from players, I just, I, I love it, Jared. I absolutely adore it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, what makes it fun is just that those guys are, are far back enough that you wouldn't expect somebody to be watching that stuff. Like everybody watched Kobe from my generation. Sure. Everybody a little bit before me watched MJ. 
those are the guys you expect LeBron to, all that stuff. So it's like when someone said that they grew up and they were thinking about Bill Russell, like that's <laughs> I don't think that's like a, a sh- I think people forget that if you know who Bill Russell is, you would imagine that somebody who plays in the NBA probably knew about Bill Russell too, right? They were a little bit as much as you love basketball, as much as I love basketball, Malcolm Brogdon's life revolved around basketball a little bit more than I did. Yeah. So it's not a shocker, but it is it's cool. Like it's cool because I, I think what at least makes sense for this thing is that Brock, uh, uh, Brogdon too, but like Russell and Bird represent something about basketball that's special, which is that they represented the, the kind of like the mentality side of it, right? Like Bill was, he was the great champion because of the way he thought the game, the way he worked, the way he innovated. Larry Bird, same thing. Like he was, he was known for being someone who mastered the game at a mental level and controlled the game with his brain more than anything else about how he put himself in the right positions and made unique touch passes and shots and stuff like that, rather than being able to blow by people. And like, that's something that if you're a basketball purist or someone who really enjoys the game for the strategy of it and the player development side, all that kind of stuff like that makes, that makes those guys resonate with you in a special way. And so I think it is cool to see that from guys like Brogdon and Gallinari, two players who are, who like when they came into the league were tweeners back when, remember when tweener was a word, like mm-hmm. Gallo was a tweener, a, like a four that wanted to play a, a perimeter face up game and shoot the ball. People didn't really know exactly what his role was. And I think he was picked like six in the draft, right? In 2008. And there was a little bit of like a, why are you taking a Euro tweener this high in the drafts? And, you know, Gallo never quite hit the level that you would hope for for a number six pick. Like he was a fringe all-star most of his career. He's continued to be a useful player deep into his career, but like he, he carved his way into being a good player in the league. And like Brogdon, Brogdon would have been a lottery pick if it weren't for the injury concerns. He probably would have been like a top 10 pick if it weren't for the injury concerns coming out of school. There he was uh, rookie of the year. Yeah, and he was, he's been good, but he's also been hurt. And that's why, yeah. like, the Celtics pick is not just like a slam dunk. Uh, you know, the 30th pick in the draft, honestly, for him with his injury concerns is probably a slam dunk, but it's like, this is why it only took a late first round pick to get Brogdon. And honestly, I thought the Brogdon deal was phenomenal. And then I got the summer league and people were like, I can't believe the Celtics paid a first for Brogdon. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like, is his injury concern that bad? Um, but I guess it is. Uh, but so anyway, the point of all this is to say that, I think that they're pulling those out because they're at the Salt Expresser. They know mm-hmm. how, they know that Gallinari, I think, knows that if he does a story with me talking about how he looked up the Larry Bird, he mentions it in his press conference, like the Salt Expresser are going to eat it up. Uh, and it, I'm sure it's true. I don't think he's completely making it up. We do have at least that photo of him as a 17 year old yeah, in the Celtics jumpsuit. You know, and, and as soon as I went over to talk to his dad, he immediately started talking about how much he loves Larry Bird and all that stuff. So like, it's, it's legit. It's not BS, but they certainly, he wouldn't be talking about Larry Bird if he was joining Sacramento right now. Like, there's a reason why he's talking about it in Boston. Well, and, and, and if I'm not mistaken, because I'm trying to remember kind of his career path in terms of when he was a free agent and that sort of thing. But like the the running joke, you know, certainly I made it and others made it about, you know, when when Brad brought Gallinari, Gallinari in the first place, it was like, you know, I, I bet he got a text from Danny Ainge saying, you know, congrats, because he spent years. I mean, it, like it was it was a long quest that Danny Ainge had of trying to put Gallinari in a Celtics uniform. He long was a fan of him, you know, going all the way back to you know, when he was in the draft and everything, or, or, you know, even before that, he's been a free agent since, you know, Gallinari has chosen to play elsewhere since there were opportunities to come to Boston that he didn't. So it's, it's not like it was this like end all be all. I have to spend some of my career in Boston. It just kind of worked out this time. I get it. Like I grew up a Celtics fan and you know now I'm a professional. I don't root for them anymore, but how dare you? 
if I will, but the point being, it's like, if I went my whole career never covering the Celtics, as long as I found situations I was in that I loved, those would be my new homes and yeah. I, it wouldn't be a problem. Um, so, you know, I think it's the same way. I think it, the impression I got was they were a Celtics household growing up, but I don't think because of where they were, I don't think it was like they love the Celtics and they hate everybody else. I think it was like they loved the NBA and they, and they were big Celtics fans in that household. Um, and you know, what's funny about it was I mentioned this briefly in the story on the athletic is I did a feature. I think like last year where I talked to the guys that called the very first game ever broadcast overseas and they broadcasted from Milan where Danilo was from and it was a Celtics Lakers game back in 1981. And so mm. I just thought it was really cool thinking about like, Oh, the story I worked on before and you know, this kind of origin story of the European expansion into the NBA, which obviously has like completely changed the, the shape of our game, how, like Danilo was kind of a product of that. And I thought that was just really cool. It's funny how these things all kind of connect. Was there anything that was said or not said? I mean, I guess however you want to interpret my question, but was there anything in that press conference as you listen to these guys talk for 30, 40 minutes, whatever it was, and you've had conversations around that press conference as well on an individual basis, you know, again, they just, they checked every box, you know, they said everything you could possibly want them to say during that introduction, was there anything that felt not insincere, but less than sincere was, you know, like, let's just, we're, we're, we're giving the people what they want. Or do you believe that, you know, they are coming in every bit as championship hungry and, and selfless and ready to just fill a role as it sounds like they are. Um, I mean, I know that like the team made assurances to Danilo about his playing time. So it's not like he's not signing here thinking like, Oh, I hope I get minutes around Grant mm-hmm. Williams. So he's, he signed expecting 20 minutes a game minimum. He, he wants to be a core rotation player. He's, he's still good and he still should be for sure. So I, I don't think Danilo said anything about like, I'm willing to step back and do whatever. Cause obviously who would sign somewhere being like, I hope I play 10 minutes a game. You right. don't get a press conference like Luke Cornette did not get a re-signing press <laughs> conference. You know, it's like, you're not getting a press conference if you're not, if you're playing less than 20 a game. How so, far we've come from the Gerald Wallace and Chris Humphreys and, you know, so, so hey, on and so forth. That was a new era. That, that I mean, was a new era. A, you had to do a presser for that. That obviously. was the Brad era. <laughs> yeah, it was the I beginning mean, of the wherever. That, that presser was for us to talk to, to Brad and Danny, I think, if yeah. I remember correctly. I was pretty new to the job at that point. But so, anyway, um, you know, there was that. Uh, one thing I remember personally was I asked Brad about ownership giving you the green light to make the spending about can you talk, can you tell us when did you have conversations with them about the level of moves you were going to make and therefore how deep you're going to dive into the tax and great Brad Stevens answer. He basically didn't really answer exactly what I was asking and just went with like, we've always had the green light. We've always had the support from them, mm-hmm. which is true. You have always had the support, but you never acted on it until now. You obviously had to, you had to talk to them before you acted on it. You had to give them a, Hey, heads up. You're going to pay like $80 million in luxury tax this year. <laughs> so like obviously he had, to, they had to get ownership approval. Uh, so he kind of dodged, he, he sidestepped, he sidestepped that one in a masterful way. In a way that, you know, that was kind of a Danny-ish answer now that I think about it. I'm sure Danny was nodding and smiling somewhere, somewhere <laughs> where he saw that. Stay quick break, tell you that uh, our good friends at Bet Online, of course, sponsor this podcast and many across the CLNS Media Network. Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info and more. You can find all the latest sports developments, including this week's odds for Major League Baseball. We're about halfway through the year, the All Star break rapidly approaching. You can get odds in on, you know, the home run derby, whatever it is you're interested in. Already have odds for the football season. The Patriots are plus 4,000 to win it all. 
Mac Jones, uh, as we speak, I think is out handing out his new Mac attack ice cream. So he's got his priorities in order at the moment. Celtics plus 600 to win the NBA title. Yes, plus 600 to win the championship in 2023. The favorite. That is the favorite. The Bucks are plus 625. Wow. The Warriors plus 650. Uh, early MVP odds. Jason Tatum is in that conversation once again. He's uh, fourth right now, I believe, at plus 1,200. Guys like Luka and Giannis and Bede are ahead of him. Luka, the favorite, plus 425. Rookie props, um, you could look at. Wait, so, uh, the, so the actual uh, MVP is behind him? Uh, the actual MVP is, uh, is behind him at the moment. Yeah. Wow. At, at least. Wow. Yeah. I know. It's kind of, well, I mean, how often does a guy win three years in a row? Right. And, and he's getting his two best teammates back. And like the reason yeah. he won last year is he didn't have those guys. So I get it. I yeah. Get it. You could, I'm sure, uh, without, without looking at the specific odds right now, I'm sure Chet Holmgren is, uh, if not the favorite for rookie of the year, he's, you know, right there, one A, one B kind of conversation. I am looking forward to, you know, going back to Giannis a second ago. I'm looking forward to Holmgren like a, in a few years in the nba when he sort of thickens up you know he gets a little beefier more like obviously he's elite and he's so much fun to watch and he's had a great summer league and all of it i just like i can't help but look at him and just see sean bradley you know just not you know just, just like just the physical frame of you know so it, eventually he is going to get thicker but right now man that dude is thin crazy i I think he could be a much better version of what Porzingis was before he got hurt. Like, sure. I, I really, really like him. I've been a huge fan of his for a while. Honestly, for me, it was I was really excited about Imani Bates because I had seen Imani Bates play when he was really young. And then he went up went up against Chet, and I came away from him thinking, I knew Chet was good, but, wow, Chet's a lot better than I thought. Um so yeah, I, I, I love Chet. I don't I, I don't know if I would have taken him number one over Ben Caro, even though Chet's my favorite player in the draft. I don't know if he's going to win rookie of the year, honestly. I think, I think maybe I would favor Ben Caro, honestly, but, uh, he's, he's fun. He's fun. And I, I cannot wait to see how OKC evolves over the years with him. Yeah, I like the Thunder are doing in general. Uh, bet online again, your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, live betting, favorite Vegas casino games, uh, poker games, you name it. Super easy to get you started. Join today. Learn why everyone is saying bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. Bet online where the game starts. All right. We were talking about Gallinari, Jared. Let's uh, go back to a little bit more on Malcolm Brogdon because one thing, the, the second that he arrived, and I don't even mean physically, I mean just his name on the Celtics roster. The one thing everybody wanted to talk about was, is he going to start ahead of Marcus Smart? And the team, you know, which I, I feel, you know, validated, the team has has come out. Malcolm Brogdon has come out in various interviews and in that press conference and said right away, you know, he's ready to be the sixth man. He's ready to come in and, you know, and and be that guy. And that's that's where it makes sense. Now, I certainly think that obviously, like there's the unpredictable injuries are going to play a role, whether to Marcus, whether to Malcolm, whether to others. You know, there are going to be plenty of games that Brogdon probably starts. I wouldn't be surprised if there are games that Brogdon starts right alongside Marcus Smart. But as far as, you know, who is your starting point guard, it, at least going in, provided everybody's healthy. That is still undeniably and unquestionably to me, Marcus Smart. Clearly, Brogdon is prepared for that role. He is embracing that role. And I think it makes the most sense, too, because he's going to give you things that, one, obviously, he's he's a tremendous defender, but also he's going to give you that scoring punch off the bench that you want, that, you know, Marcus is not that guy. And you don't want Marcus to be that guy. You want Marcus to keep doing exactly what he did last year. Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year last year. Like he's he's a starting point guard in the NBA. It's Agreed. Like, 
you know, there's no, I, I don't know how anybody could have watched that NBA finals and come away from it thinking like Marcus Smart's on a bona fide starter from almost <laughs> for every team in the NBA. Yeah. Like clear, like at game six, when they were completely falling apart, it was him and Jalen that were carrying the offense. They were doing everything out there. Marcus has his flaws. They came up again during the postseason, but he is so obviously a good starter in the NBA. Like it's, I don't think it's anything to debate anymore. And I think the DPOI locked it in. Uh, you could debate if if Brogdon was fully healthy, who's better between the two? Sure, um, I think but it's actually not. pretty. It's pretty neck and neck. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he's not. Um, I mean, important thing to know is I don't know if people know this, but Brogdon he sat out the last like what like twenty games of the year last year. He was being shelved. He could have played. Yes. He was he was fine to play. The team the team was tanking. Uh, Miles Turner he could have come back. Um, like with a month left, but he didn't want to come back on you know like on a bad foot. And, you know, played 70%, not look great. Like he wanted to sit. Malcolm wanted to sit. Like it was mutual. Everybody was on the same page. So th- that's why those guys didn't play as much last year. So Brogdon had a big injury last year, but he could have played six, you know, what, 60 games or 50 games or whatever. So like his injury isn't quite, injury history isn't as bad as it looks, but it's not good either. Uh, but either way, Marcus Smart should clearly be starting. The only question is, were they going to move Horford to the bench and put Brogdon up in the starting lineup? But we, the starting lineup was incredible last year. It was the best mm-hmm. in the NBA. The issue was the offense throughout the game would have these huge lulls. And that's where you need your six man to be able to come to the game and, and choreograph and score. So he's the perfect six man. And I assume he's going to win six man of the year this year. He's, I mean, unless I'm forgetting someone. Like, well, let's, the best assuming he's right healthy. Here. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. I can't remember who won last year. Did Hero win last year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe if Hero doesn't replace Drews in the starting lineup, which I can see them doing, you know, maybe that's, you know, kind of neck and neck. But Brogdon's like, he's an, he's an elite six man. They have an elite, they have, for a bench score, he's one of the best we've had in the last decade in the NBA. He's, he's a really, really good offensive player. He's all, he's a good starter. Like if he's a starter, he's probably, I don't, I haven't seen where he is in Seth Partnow's tiers in the NBA, but I think he's like top 100 or so. So like the dude's a top 100 player in the NBA coming off the bench when you have like several other top 100 players in the NBA coming off the bench. Like this team is pretty insanely stacked and he fits perfectly as a six man playing 30 minutes a night. Well, to that point, like if Malcolm Brogdon, cause I was just going to bring this up. So I'm glad that you did. If Malcolm Brogdon's fully healthy, which again, as far as we know, he's not, but if Malcolm Brogdon's fully healthy, he's probably a top 60 player in the NBA, something like that. So where is Marcus smart, you know, on the heels of defensive player of the year? Top 50? Is it, am I selling him short with that? Is he top 40? Where are you putting him? Uh, I'm trying to pull up right now Seth Partnow's tiers because those are really damn good. Um, like he's really thorough with it, but I mean, saying smarts like a, saying both of those guys as top 75 seems pretty reasonable, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be I curious to know where he has them because I'm just, I'm just offering my opinion. There's no research sure. behind it at all. <laughs> names on a piece of paper. Let's see. Here, you keep you keep talking. I'm going to keep looking. Well, I just I think it's it's so I don't even need to like defend the wall when it comes to Marcus Smart in the ways that I have done on this show in the past because one it would be repetitive and two like I've got Barstool Greeny out there doing that for me anyway with every <laughs> single tweet that that he gets and just you know quote tweeting everyone. It's just it it is remarkable and I won't like name names but there it, it is crazy how. There are just some, whether it's, you know, fans or people in the media specifically that seem to have this just it, it, it's almost like a personal vendetta against him. And, you know, I, I don't believe that is actually the case, but it comes off that way with how 
dismissive some people are of what Marcus Smart does bring to this team. It's, you know, but I don't know. Again, there's a reason that that I have said for a long time and that others have said recently as well that, you know, he's just we, I, I can't even think of the last Celtics player who has even been on the same tier as Marcus Smart when it comes to the level of of how polarizing he is to fans, to media, to others. Oh, God, you're right. That's actually really true. And uh, just for the Seth Partner tiers, he has Smart, Rob Williams, and Al Horford in his tier 4A, which is the top 60 players in the league. So okay. he has all those guys in the top 60 in the league. And then uh Brogdon and who was the other person? Derek White. He has them in this 4B, which would be 60 through 84. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, 60 through 84, that makes you a – that's like a good starter in the NBA, yeah. right? There's 30 teams in the NBA. For sure. So – if you're in the if you're in the top sixty, that means you're a very good starter. Yeah, uh, you know, top eighty four, that means you're a good starter for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that makes sense. No, it, it it fits, but it yeah, I I don't know. We we don't need to go on and on about it with with the smart polarizing thing. But like the, I mean, the only one who's even come close recently would be Al Horford. You know, during his first you know stint with the team, not you know this past year. You know, with all the, all the average player. Al stuff and all that. You know, obviously, but. It's, I mean, before that, like it's, you know, I've, I, ignoring Horford, like the guy that I've, that has come the closest to me that I've compared to Marcus Smart in terms of polarizing or the, the polarizing scale in Boston sports is Tuka, a Tuka Rask. Like that's, you know, there, there are just as, I mean, he's arguably the best goaltender that the Bruins have ever had in their history. And yet there are plenty of people that'll still tell you like, eh, wouldn't trust him in a big game. Get rid of him. Stinks. You know, all of that. Obviously, I know he's gone. He's retired at this point. But Smart's just another one of those guys. Like, defensive player of the year. I I can't remember, Jared, and I, I, I tweeted this out at some point. I can't remember the last time that a guy won, like, for any team, a guy won defensive player of the year. And the immediate reaction was, he's not that good. He's not a good. What, like, what game are you guys watching? You think this is the best defender in the NBA? Also, there, I think the, the one person I can think of from my childhood that was as polarizing was JD Drew. <laughs> People hated JD Drew so much, yeah. but then he would also be like a pretty solid outfielder and hit 300, didn't he, most of the time? He got yeah, I mean, not most of the time in Boston, but he, uh, you know, certainly in, in his career around Boston, you know, he's people forgave him around here because of obviously the, the homer in the playoffs, but you know, for the most part, you know, that was another guy that, yeah perennial perennial underachiever at least in boston but around that for sure definitely um in the uh we we don't have too much time left in the show because i don't want to keep you forever but uh as it relates to brogdon and smart and Derek white well now you have peyton pritchard who you know it took him forever to get out of Eme's doghouse last year to, to actually you know rejoin the rotation which obviously as a rookie he was largely part of under brad stevens many of us were you know banging our heads against a wall wondering why he wasn't playing finally gets an opportunity for the most part i think took advantage of it he you know was was uh you know pretty good in the playoffs when he when he had a chance in those first couple rounds in particular what becomes of him now if if this is the point guard depth in front of him and i know it's 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 foolhardy to presume health, you know, things happen. They always do. But, you know, I just, I can't, you brought up Max Drews before and very different situations, but in this sense, I can't help but look at Peyton Pritchard and think about Max Drews in the sense that, you know, this guy could be a better NBA player than he's going to get the chance to be in Boston. You know, Strews found himself a great fit, obviously with the heat, 
Is Pritchard better off just finding a better fit, you know, when that opportunity is presented? I don't know, because, like, he's gotten the opportunity. And that's the thing is, it's hard being a rookie coming into a develop, uh, into an already developed team. Like, Aaron right. Neesmith, I expect him to get better in Indiana, and I expect people to be pissed off if he turns into a decent player. <laughs> but he's going to get the opportunity there that he yeah. wasn't going to get in Boston. Right. You know, it's like it wasn't a situation that was conducive for him developing, especially because he admitted he basically has, like, the yips with shooting. And he's not able to come out and play and get enough shots in in order to actually do the shooting he needs to improve. So, like, that's that's why Neesmith probably will benefit from being in Indiana. Peyton Pritchard would probably benefit from being somewhere where they were allowing him to just make all the mistakes he's making and force him to develop. But he's not able to do that in Boston. Um, I think what's good for him is that he was not ready to run point in the finals. And he had to do it some he doesn't really have to do that with the way that the roster is set up. So he can play the two for the most part offensively and he's a good shooter. And if he's attacking space, he's going to be a lot better than, you know, playing pick and roll and attacking drop coverage and trying to find a little bit of space when they like kind of close in on him and he feels trapped and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think Pritchard's in the right spot. He's going to get some time because of all the guys they have uh, in the guard rotation, he's the only one that when he's on is a knockdown shooter. Brogdon at times has been a knockdown shooter. I think health was the biggest factor for him shooting poorly last year. And then three years ago or whatever in Indiana, I think that Brogdon will be a good shooter if he's fully healthy, but like they're going to need Peyton shooting. Absolutely. Cause I like Sam Hauser's potential to eventually turn into a rotation player someday down the road, mm. but he's absolutely not there yet. Like he's not, and he's shooting terribly in summer league right now too. Pritchard is the, if they're going to have a floor spacer out there, it's going to be Pritchard. It's going to be Gallo. Well, let's go full circle with this show and, and wrap really up going is. going back to Summer League here because we were talking about Kevin Gelly before. You brought up Hauser. Some of these guys, you know, J.D. Davison is coming off. Obviously, his best game in, in the four in Summer League so far looks, uh, you know, by Summer League standards, looks terrific. You know, he's he's averaging 12 and 9, whatever it is. He's shooting 46% from three. You know, uh, Juan Begaron, if I'm saying that even remotely close with the uh, with the French little accent on there is, uh, you know, he's looking really good. I, and I don't know, you you can speak to this better if he's going back overseas. I know, obviously, Davison's going to be, uh, you know, there in Maine, but I'm I'm just I'm it looks like they've got some good youth, uh, some 19 year old kids, obviously, that that they've got here in the pipeline. But how optimistic are you that they could develop and, and turn to real NBA contributors here for the Celtics? Hmm. You know, Davison, I like, I, when I went back and watched the film on him, I was like, oh, I see it. Um, and I was surprised that someone hadn't taken a flyer on him earlier just because he's someone that if you're willing to live with the mistakes he makes, he brings so much to the table. And we've seen it in the summer league. His, he's basically the exact same player in summer league as he was on the tape that I watched of him from Alabama. I guess maybe the upside is that it's harder at the summer league as players are better, even if teams aren't as good. So if he's still performing at that same level, then it's probably a little bit of improvement there, but he has so much to work on. If he wants to run point, like if he wants to play on ball in the NBA, he's just not close yet. Um, but he makes pretty decent reads. He also jumps in the air and tries to find someone somehow does like he had this one, this one, uh, pass to I forget who it was one of the shooters at the top of the arc where he like was driving towards the hoop got in the air looked at the corner didn't have anyone looked at the elbow didn't have anyone and just kind of like blindly threw it like over his shoulder and somehow hit the guy on the numbers I was like how the <laughs> hell did he do that like that's insane <laughs> that he hung in the air that long that was like a John Morant level kind of pass um and so he just like he may not going to play somebody making you know doing that kind of crazy reckless stuff uh in the NBA yet 
but like with two years of development, I could see him being at the spot where Peyton Pritchard is now where, or not, not quite like Pritchard is playing in the finals, but like, I can see him being in a spot where he's getting a little bit of time. So sometime next year that could happen. I just wouldn't expect him to play at all this year. Uh, he might come in and blow outs and stuff like that, but that's pretty much it. Uh, but they should, they should keep him around. I like his talent. He's interesting. He really is. He is fun and he brings something unique that this team doesn't have a lot of, but with his speed, athleticism, um, he, he's able to get into spots with a level of explosiveness that most guys aren't able to do. And then he could do a lot of the ball hawking, rebounding, stuff like that, that Celtics love out of their point guards. So I find him really interesting. And, you know, he's in contention to get promoted to the roster spot. We could see that happening because from what I've seen of Roger Thomas, I'm not, I'm not seeing enough right now to make me think he's getting that spot. Well, keep in mind, too, with respect to Pritchard, yes, he's only been in the NBA a couple of years, but he's, what, five years older than Davison? Yeah, he's 23, 24. Yeah, so, you know, obviously personal maturity and growth and all of that, you know, four years of college versus just the one. So it it all adds up for sure. Again, this show is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. And uh, make sure you check out all of Jared's work at The Athletic, including the new article today with Danilo Gallinari and his dad about growing up, being a Larry Bird fan, being a Celtics household, all the stuff that we already talked about earlier in the show. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff that I mentioned as well. And, uh, you know, hopefully for the show next week, we'll have a big or two to talk about or a big addition in the form of a TPE since that'll be expiring in a few days. We'll see. Jared, always appreciate you coming on. Appreciate the time. I think you're going to have a fiondu time next week. Oh, there it is. Probably. It's probably going to be him. All right. It's been Celtics Beat. We'll see you later.